Hey guys, quick note about the pod. Uh, some of the dope jokes and stuff are going to be kind of dated since we live in a world that's going at pretty much the speed of light. We recorded this a while ago, and somebody <coughs> me uh, forgot to edit the this episode of the podcast for a long-ass time and was a lazy fuck. So if you have any complaints about the podcast being this long, forward them to at Gecko on Telegram. Thank you. And enjoy the show. can tell the entire world has just been getting worse and worse. I mean, it's ever. probably true, but also the accelerationist in me is uh, happy that this is happening. Oh, is it interesting? Nah, I'm just making a meme. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting in a if you look at it from a very detached perspective, because I live in this world, it's not interesting, it's just terrifying. Oh, yeah. that That's why we need to save the world. That I sucks. Mean, can we just black pill ourselves already? Is that possible? Which one's the black pill again? The one where you kill yourself? No, no, no. no. The black the black pill is like the incel thing where it's like uh, women uh, don't... Oh, no. It's like the thing where it's like eight, the 80-20 thing where it's like women will go for the 20% of guy Or 20% of men get 80% of the women or something like that. I thought black pill was just more nihilistic. Yeah, I thought black pill was like... Sh- Straight up kill you, just like suicidal, that disease. What's that? That I'm, that's not a okay. I mean, I can see the other stuff leading to nihilism, but I thought black pill was basically about being nihilistic, like in look. It's it means different things in different contexts, so it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm. Well. So at some point we are going to do our sync up and all that good shit, and then do our intros and. Yeah. No, we we'll, we will never do the sync up again. Rip sync up. <laughs> Oh, wow, that's going to be a great idea. Yeah, let's just make it impossible for everybody to edit. <laughs> yeah, let's game it out. That's basically game what you're trying fact. to do. How about we game out the fact Game out, game out the fact that the DNC gave Buttigieg, what, 14, and Bernie 12 delegates? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That they was just, dumb. They just can't help but pick up the winners, can they? No, the DNC, if the DNC rat fucks us, like, it's our job to just like make them pay. All these fucking libs who think they can they can be like a, just a giant asshole. It's like no, you bend the knee to us, bitch. I have a friend who I was like I was waning nihilistic one day, and I'm like, you know, if the DNC fucks Bernie, I'm just I'm gonna straight vote Trump. I'm just gonna accelerate that shit. Just fuck it. I'm done. Good God! Like, wow, that's a. Well, take. I mean, do you? I think here's the thing. Like, like a fucking Mayor Pete presidency. What the fuck is he going to do that? Tr- like. He's going to get more shit done than Trump is the issue. Mm. Trump is just... It, like, the Senate's not going to change. Like, Mitch McConnell, I think, is still going to stay in. What about Shane? Oh, God, I hope not. I hope he dies, to be honest. 
same. I what really hope you? I really would not like him to stay in, but like Trump doesn't really run our country. It's the fucking Senate. Yeah, what what the fuck has he even done since being there? He's he's played golf, executive orders, played golf, and like he's what signed wined. two laws. He's wined a lot. He's just a shit poster in chief. Yeah, like, he doesn't even do anything. No, no, a shit poster in chief would be nice. Like I would enjoy having Went Drill for president. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so I think we let's get this show on the road. Uh, let's uh, maybe do that. Yeah. Yeet. Alright, everyone, welcome back to the Furries Get Bread Pilled podcast. We're finishing the conquest of bread today. Finally. Took us long enough. Mm-hmm. Oh. Been, what, like oh. four months? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I mean, we've been going over it with a fine-tooth comb, but... I'd much rather uh, be intensive in my theory than just sit around, so... So I believe what chapter were you starting on for, to finish up? It was uh, thirteen. Thirteen, and then there was fifteen chapters, right? <clears throat> there are oh, seventeen like... chapters. Seventeen, seventeen. We're, we're doing thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen today. Pretty much. Well, the like rest of the, book. the rest of the book. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. So first off, we have fourteen, which is consumption and production. Well, thirteen. Uh, uh, the collectivist wages system is where we start today. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, spoiler uh, alert! I, I, it gets bit worse in modern times than any of these people really thought it could be. Yeah, we talked about this a lot on the podcast before, but like, it it always it just the reason why it got worse is because like, again, the state has become such a powerhouse of a it's like literally the most powerful entity in the history of mankind. Yep. That's fair. Yep. I mean, kind of. The, the only the only thing that I would disagree on is that it, at least nowadays, like, there's some semblance of perceived freedom, whereas in the past, at least it was just like straight authoritarian regime. Yeah, is that. Yeah, but the contradictions were well. The contradictions nowadays tend to be more hidden because people are smarter about hiding them. Uh, like back then, like the contradictions under capitalism are very, very open, and it's like much easier to get get people to see things. But nowadays, you have like all this like fetishism of the violence that's kind of going on. Well, you also have commodity fetishism. Yeah. Ooh. I think we're also just overloaded with so many distractions that it's it's acting like the soma of our time, and it's harder to see through the haze of all the distractions to what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Too many simulacra. But I, I think the first thing that he actually mentions here is about how, you know, it, the the biggest the biggest problem is the wages system. Like it's not not even just like wage slavery wage system, like the capitalist wage system, but even the quote unquote labor va- vouchers. He he goes into that about how like oh yeah you, you can't just like put value to labor like yeah labor has a value but you can't like quantify it the way that a lot of these economists are trying to do and a lot of the way that modern society is trying to do because it's like yeah doctors can have more skills than a burger flipper but at the same time like do they really value differently do they value does one have more value than the other 
not necessarily because they're both necessarily needed to function modern society. So well, I think that's a fundamental difference between us because according to capitalism or capitalism, they do. That they just value differently. That well, way. yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, I, one of the reasons why I like Kropotkin, I like this chapter. He almost has a sort of metaphysics of labor, where it's like we know a value, but that value is indeterminate, and you can't really determine it because you'd be splitting hairs all day and you'd drive yourself insane. And like, there's so many different values and variables that there's no reason to reasonably determine it and try to do like this merit, like this, like. Um, it's like, you know, with, with how, how we always talk about uh, people uh, means-testing welfare and whatnot and how it just doesn't work. It's like you can't just sit here and, and, and like, try to quantify things down to a, a microscopic level because it's impossible. Yeah, uh, like, a, like an hourly wage system, just it completely fucks with both the capitalist and the worker. Not necessarily, it fucks more with the worker because the worker tends to get screwed over in terms of how much they're valued as, but it also kind of screws over the capitalists because they have to necessarily quantify what the worker is able to produce. Even though, you know, two different people doing this exact same task will produce wildly different results. I think that's easier for them, though, because they live in a world that's more uh, numeric in nature. The whole, like, profit is when you subtract your costs from your income, and that's that just fits their model much better. Oh my god, Supercath, mm. you just gave the entire our entire audience economics 302 class. <laughs> yeah, you just walk into your professor and be like, yeah, so a bunch of furries gave me this really good advice on economics. Care to explain it uh, through all the dick jokes that we make on this podcast? It's probably uh, Have we made a lot of dick jokes? Probably also one of the rules of acquisition. I, I, I well... Just kind of as an aside, but going off that joke, I do find it funny that a lot of these economics professors and a lot of these economics schools of economics are pretty much just like they're the worst at explaining economics because they try to make so much jargon for things that can be so easily explained. Well, they have like data and graph. The whole point of it, well, they're like neoclassical economics is basically a sham. It has like no predictive power and uh literally in order to believe it in circular logic it's like well if you believe that uh neoliberal economics works then here's a graph that says neoliberalism works and it just doesn't like this is the chicago school of uh you know this is the chicago boys this is this is what we're doing here and like kropotkin is basically saying like there is no empirical way to do this. He's basically kind of arguing against positivism as a con- like scientific positivism as a concept here, where everything is empirical and everything is scientific, and arguing more in favor of a. Yeah, he's talking about they. They will speak of scientific socialism. They will quote the bourgeoisie economics in Marx to improve that the scale of wages has a um, raison d'être, as the labor force of an engineer can cost more of the society than the labor force of the navy. And he's kind of talking about, um, yeah, he shits on economics here as well, and kind of a little bit on Marx. And I think one of the things that we need to go into, and we'll probably go into this when we do the um, Sankara episode, is the distinction between uh, anarchism and sort of Marxist and Marxist-Leninism. And, like, the economic theory behind both of all of those kind of coming together and trying to figure out, you know, 
I think that Marxism, at least my opinion on it, is it's useful, but it is not the be-all, end-all in a certain way. Especially his um, idea of history, to a certain extent, is very teleological and linear, and I would say I disagree with him on a couple of things. Well, but not only that, but he kind of follows the anarchist tradition of being like, yeah, so these guys have good ideas, but we shouldn't elevate them to what would necessarily be an idol. Because that just, you, you just end up fucking yourself over. But more to the point, he does, when he's talking about the collectivist wage system, he's actually talking about the authoritarian communists. The the idea mm-hmm. of, he explicitly says, you know, they begin by re- proclaiming a revolutionary principle, the abolition of private profit, property, but then they go ahead and start making more private property. So, where's the revolution in that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, um... Again, it's like one of the criticisms of like the Soviet Union when you like take the bourgeois uh, system of power, and then you just replace it with something that just is nominally different but functionally the same. It doesn't matter. I don't think he was replying to communists or to authoritarian communists. I think he was thinking more of like Bakunin. Yeah, he but... well, yeah, yeah. He also is talking about Bakunin. I think he's doing a double take here. He's kind of trying to make like do a third way, if you will. Um, oh, stop. We're not fascists. <laughs> what? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, for those who don't understand the joke, third, the, the third way was actually originally started as an idea for fascists to explain fascism without calling themselves fascists. Well, I don't, here's, here's what I don't understand, you know. Uh, if feminists aren't not, feminazis aren't Nazis, then why are they third way Feminazis oh owned with facts and logic, skeptic boy. Okay, we actually need to do an episode on the waves of femi- feminism at this point. Yeah, that's that's a loaded fucking statement there. <laughs> I would absolutely be down for doing this. No, no, I think I think we should just uh, also. Um, I just remember back in the days of like you know being an edgy atheist on the internet when oh, Gamergate God. happened, and like historically speaking at looking back like from a histor- perspective of a historian gamergate is a pretty big watershed moment in the history of the internet because it allowed for a lot of far right people to get a very very public platform remember when being a nazi was a bad thing yeah i miss those days mm. don't we all but remember when punching nazis wasn't uh controversial well, you know, you gotta respect their opinions. Like, uh, Do you really? is it is it is it? You know, uh, I disagree with your opinion that Jews aren't people, but I let you have it. I think also like there's this whole idea of like legalism where it's like, ooh, something's illegal, so therefore uh, it's it's morally wrong to do it, and like all of like any any political like lawful law isn't philosoph- good. Yeah. Well, any any philosopher of law knows that that's simply not true. Uh, at least most of them. There's a couple of crazy people that are just like, oh yeah, it's it's to- it's totally true. But those well, people I, are like, I, I think anybody who actually does any research into what law is and how law functions would com- come to understand that morality is different from legality. Yeah. And legality like is based on the entire premise that society needs to function in a certain way, or else it's more of a functionality collapse. than anything else. 
I mean, I think the error is more the other direction, and that the error is that they are thinking that uh, what is legal becomes uh, legality has moral implications, and not that whatever is moral has legal implications. So that's it does mm. to a certain extent, but that has to do more with like the idea of capitalist realism, where it's like um, capitalist everything... realism. Okay, that's a new one. You ever heard of capitalist realism? Rip no, Mark Fisher. Of... Yeah. Why would I have heard of capitalist realism? That sounds like the dumbest fucking shit I ever heard. Oh my well, god. Capitalism isn't real, come on. Got well, him. it's an no. enti- it's an entire book about how capitalism has become the dominant I- ideology, and he's basically arguing against the end of history. Yeah, it's like, the, it, it, it is very Francis Fukuyama and history, you know, this is the capitalist realism where it's like, oh, this is a law, it must be moral. Uh, not looking into the deeper implica- implications of it, where, uh, well, for my my philosophy of law class right now, we're reading Hart, and so we're talking about sort of social rules and, like, legal rules and their interaction. And that's one of the things, like, uh, you know, Hart and, like, other f- law philosophers talk about. It's like, look, it's not, the law is not always going to be moral, but it's going to be socially constructed. It's going to have, you know, whatever in the society. There's going to uh, be a reason for it to be there, more or less. Well, yeah, I'm saying I'm saying that like there's the con- like they they influence each other. Where law law can make law can influence social rules and social rules and sort of social norms can influence law. We see this all the time. I mean, um one of the thing I think one of the best examples of this is like of uh social rules kind of uh implicating law is like that um abortion bill uh, in uh texas where they were like oh yeah you have to bury your aborted fetuses because like the social rule is that if you believe if you take for like that law takes for granted the idea that murder is wrong and uh abortion is murder therefore we should have this law as an implication and that's sort of the social norm in a lot of conservative areas so people take that and then try to use it try to get around roe v wade in that sense even though it is morally wrong to do that yeah they're fucking stupid well it's also if you guys haven't noticed listeners and as well it's also a social norm for doctors get paid more or people with education to get paid more because well they went to school didn't they Mm. But what where Kropotkin is arguing, it's like, well, yeah, they need more education to do a more specialized task, but at the same time, like, down with the privileges of education as well as those with birth. Like, I mean, at the, on the other hand, they also need more to, you know, okay, nowadays, I bet he did not uh, account for this, student debt. Oh no, he talks about it. He's talking about abolishing debt where he's basically saying like people were talking about the morality of abolishing debt and it's like, well there is the moral implication is that the people who have gotten out this debt are doing it in a coercive manner. And like, you know, coerced like for instance, coerced sex is still rape. That is still rape. You can't just coerce people into doing things and not tell them everything and uh, give them bad deals because they're back into a quarter. And so he kind of talks about, you know, um, well, we will uh, we will set to work to demolish the last vestiges of the middle class rule. It's morality drawn from account books. It's debit and credit philosophy. It's mine and yours institutions. It's in demolishing we shall build, as Proudhauer said, or 
Pro Proudhon. How's that? How, Proudhon. Oh my god, I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> you keep saying Proudhon, but I did not think it'd be like literally like sound sounded like that. It, it That's spelled it spelled like proud proud hun, proud hun. Yeah, proud hun. Yeah. No. And we shall build the name wow. of communism and anarchy. But that's what he's saying. He's basically he's you know arguing against this whole idea of he's arguing in favor of mutual aid, yeah, in a he, certain sense. Because well, he even he even explicitly says you know no matter what you do, no matter why you do it, a service rendered to society, no matter where it is, but be there be there in factory or field or mental services, cannot be valued in money. Period. There is no exact measure of value at all. Like, just because you you spent, you know, 150k to get a bachelor's degree does not mean that automatically you should be paid, you know, enough to pay off that debt. You shouldn't have accrued that debt in the first place, even, even still. Well, there should be Sally May. Because even though teachers do need to get paid, they do need to get fed, but... you. You still shouldn't, any kind of service like that shouldn't be valued in a manner that would be exploitative. Mm-hmm. It would be coercive. Yeah. Holy shit, I just realized this. I was looking on Twitter for a second. Woody Har- Harrelson's actually an anarchist. The, the, uh, this machine kills the actor. fascists. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's almost obvious. Oh. I didn't even, I didn't even realize that. That's interesting. Who? Woody Harrelson. The uh, actor. He's he's the, he's he's most famous, at least in socialist circles, for having the guitar that's written on it that says "This machine kills fascists." Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. Um, but oh, no, that's not Woody Harrelson. That's fucking. Oh man, I was so wrong on that. No, Woody Har- Woody Harrelson's the uh, guy who. He was in Zombieland. Yeah, Zombieland. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, I can yeah. see. I yeah, he's Tallahassee me. in that movie. Yeah, no, I, I fucking, I fucked up. No, uh, the guy. Who I, was... I just, assu- I just took what you said. I and assumed. I was like, wait a minute, I didn't realize that. No, this machine kills vet Woody Guthrie. Same first oh. name, different last names. That's why I got confused. Fucking Woody's. Yeah. Right. I okay. Got a Woody. Right so... now. Ooh. For got some theory. Dab. Alright, so, uh, moving on from there, so we gotta kinda move this along. It's probably gonna be a longer episode, but hey, it's okay. We're gonna um, try and move it. We're already on chapter the... 14. Yeah, well, well... in production. Chapter 14. Well, I was just saying, I think, uh, I honestly like chapter 13 as one of my favorite chapters, just because of that sort of discussion of the metaphysics of labor. And I thought that was interesting, and well, like kinda, the epistemology behind it's interesting. Well, kind of, kind of, in a sense, he's arguing for what would be recognized nowadays as a gift economy. the The idea of there, there's no need to trade uh, explicitly for goods and services. You kind of just do what is necessary, and you get taken care of in return. And he even he even moves into this with the next chapter, and he kind of flows into it by saying, if you open the works of any economist, you find that they begin with deduction. But you kind of have to start with consumption needs. as well. Yeah. Like well, it's like it's. Pr- you can't produce if there's nobody to consume. And here he talks about uh, Adam Smith and Marx and all of that. But um, I just think it's interesting 
yeah, his argument is basically in this chapter that you should start with consumption because why would you produce anything? You produce it because people need to consume. Bingo. Yeah. And he, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting um, just the bastardization of, like, neo of like classical economics from like neoclassical economics teachers nowadays is very weird because he's talking about a lot of things that like modern you know economists would, would talk about all, all the time but he's doing so in a way that is where did I, where am i going with this thought where are you going with this thought i had a seizure uh no no uh neoclass okay neoclass He's talking about. Uh, Strong, I'm just. Um, I'm just saying. There's the relationship between classical economics and neoclassical economics, where the uh, sort of the vernacular, in a certain sense, can stays a little bit of the same, but it's just done in a very different way, and it's like very much. Um, if Adam Smith was alive today, he would definitely hate like all of the economic stuff today. Because it's not actually free tree trade. It's not actually any of this bullshit. It's literally the false pretense of free trade. Where you say well, free trade is when you have two states trading with each other um, and cutting up uh, labor rights. That's not free trade. That's coercion. Well, but Seriously. if we're being if we're being completely honest, though, like Adam Smith had one balked against landlords. And two had made a very clear distinction that you can't have a free market because there's always some level of coercion involved. Oh yeah, well he, Adam Smith, like again, there's a reason why he's a layer for Marx. But like people who run the Adam Smith Institute today don't wouldn't agree don't agree with Adam Smith. They just don't. They're, they they take like it's literally the idea of taking someone's word and being like, oh, yeah, you know, this word is good because uh, people like Adam Smith, so we're going to take his word and uh, just use it to, um, you know, empower entrenched hierarchy. That's all they're doing. I mean, the Ludwig von Mises Institute does the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and Kropotkin actually foresees this a little bit because he's, like, immediately into the first chapter after he basically calls out every econ ec economist that he ever has, has ever existed up to this point he goes mm -hmm. you know if we're actually looking at even political economy like we can't just study it as a science and declare it as a science unless we actually look at the physiology of what's happening he, yeah he's he looks, he looks specifically his true here. name should be the physiology of society in, a, in the series of social science, sociological sciences, the economy of human so societies takes the place occupied in the series of biological sciences by the phy physiology of organic bodies. Something that mm -hmm. evolves, moves, basically lives and breathes. Yeah. So how's the There's... human colony going today? I mean, that's pretty much what we are, is one huge super colony, in a certain sense. Like, people have been trying to, like, if you look at, like, ant colonies and stuff like that, people are trying to say, like, well, technically, ant colonies, even though they're a bunch of tiny little organisms that can live on their own, they really can't survive without the hive, so really it's basically one organism. So essentially, we're here in one organism, if that makes sense. And he's advocating for that, because that's an interesting way of viewing it, because there's always going to be, um, no matter... 
there's always going to be consequences no matter what you do. And so if you look at everything from a very, very macro perspective, you're able to see things a lot better, whereas like neoclassical economics really looks at things in a very atomized way where everyone's an individual, every single state is just uh, trading with another state, and you know they, they trade like you would if you're playing um, Civilization and sort of that Whiggish idea of history well, where it's, it's of, like, oh. It's a very neoliberal idea that we're glorifying the individual mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah, you know, society is a thing it just exists but really what really matters is the individual choice made yeah it it atomizes people and says everything is just individual choice rather than um the whole all of humanity is an organism that is always ever changing and ever evolving and the needs of everyone should be accounted for when you're looking at the whole of the organism it's like a doctor um basically trying to diagnose you like neoliberalism is like a doctor trying to diagnose you with lung cancer by like looking at your eyeball it doesn't make any sense it's just looking at tiny little things and saying aha well here's what you do you do more austerity and it turns out it funnily enough every single thing that fucking neoliberals want to do is just uh whatever the ruling class wants to do and it's only only helpful for them and it hurts everyone else well because it's the ideology of the ruling class yeah, but it's just how it's shown in such a way that it's people say it's empirical. And this is why, you know, economics is such bullshit is because it's the only sort of um, really in, ac- all, in all of academia. It's like the only place like it's the only place where any sort of dissent is really kind of crushed a bit like, oh, it's you don't know what you're talking about. This soft. I wouldn't say it's the only one by any means, but. It definitely has that tendency to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say I would say it's not. It, it's one where I think it's most visible. Like for instance, like I'm I'm currently um, you know learning about history, and wait, if I like tried, Con, what? Mm-hmm. you're learning about history. What? No, I'm not learning anything about history. No, I I, I haven't learned anything about history. Uh, I'm doomed to repeat it. That's history? why I want to go back in time. What? All right. Side note. What if uh, not learning about history is actually what is time travel because you repeat all the mistakes that happen in history okay, and you get to what? live it by yourself? Hold Con, on. Get, get off the drugs. That's card. <laughs> what? I thought I was high. Yeah. <laughs> but so, so, so doubling back, he actually <clears throat> kind of what's Con, Con's going on about is these dogmas of economics and even of academia where you they establish these things as law and then just don't question it ever again they're just like yeah uh, no, that's yes. just a thing that happens but he's he explicitly says that it, it's quite con- and you're very bad for questioning it it's quite contrary to that like you're not trying we're not trying to create law immutable laws we're trying to just understand how society thrives currently yeah, and like like I said, uh, you know, current economics uh, just doesn't isn't able to predict things like the unemployment rate right, right now. Um, like the and they can't even count it? that right these days. They go by oh, I know, I know. Unemployment. I'm saying, I'm it's saying, it's, like it's, really it's basically because unemployment, for those who don't know, is just the number of people who are currently get, receiving unemployment checks and actively looking for work. That's all it is. So the less, pe- so the more people that hit the end of the road, I think it's like a three-year stint of their unemployment checks. That number will obviously drop because people aren't collecting unemployment 
And it also doesn't include the underemployed, people who have jobs mm. but are part-time jobs, or the overemployed, people who have multiple full-time jobs but still can't make rent, for example. I think so there's also... thing about lies, uh, damn lies and statistics. Yeah. That, I mean, you, you do all your lying by statistic. changing what you count as each kind of statistic. It's in mm-hmm. the, the typing of different things. That's where you're doing all the lying. And to date yeah. this episode, it's kind of like what happened in Iowa when they were focusing on Pete Buttigieg's <clears throat> SDEs instead of the actual overall vote count and delegate Sorry, count. Ha ha, host for a living. I didn't hear what. Ha ha, host for a living. Pete is a rat. It does seem funny that we've lost the ability to count. I know. I think that was an Ohio thing. That's because Bernie's the only one who wants universal uh, education. That's why he's the only one who can count. Well, going back to counting, um, Kropotkin says, examine one by one all commodities sent out by countries exporting on a large scale, and you will see that nearly all are produced in insufficient quantities for the inhabitants of the countries exporting them. So what basically what he's saying is this is the idea of the extraction of wealth on a state scale. It's the idea of the global south is their wealth is being extracted to the global north, whether it be, you know, um, China uh, having, um, you know, sweatshops and or like sweatshops all over the uh, East Asia, kind of all that surplus mo- all that money goes to china when in reality like these people are only producing basically enough for themselves but they actually send most of that away so they don't even get to see the- any of the fruits of their labor because it gets exported immediately well his well, point not- isn't even that they're not even they're not even seeing all the fruits of their labor they don't get any they don't have enough for themselves because what is being produced in england is being sold off to rich people in belgium and what's being produced by poor people in Belgium is being sold to rich people in England, and that's what he's saying there. I was uh, well, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't, I can't remember what I was listening to, but someone was talking about how, you know, the the wage slaves aren't like they're not chattel slaves right now, right? But the wage slaves mm. are supported by the actual ch- chattel slaveries that are in the global south because they're the ones who are producing these things for free to give the wage slaves. A meager living at their at their cost, while the wage slaves and the service staff are actually providing these services for the super rich and the uber rich, so that society will keep trucking on in this capitalist manner, because it's inherently kept up by slavery. Mm-hmm. So I, no matter, I agree. So no matter what we do, like if this we want to continue, this machine on misery too. Yeah. If we want to continue having things like billionaires, like we we have to have some kind of slavery, and it's just capitalism has become so good at just averting to people's eyes that are in wage slavery away from the chattel slavery, and be like, yeah, you know, you're getting this shit for cheap, just accept it and move on. But they're not question, but they're not questioning that the the sneakers that they bought for seventy dollars that cost Nike what fifty cents to make in some sweatshop in the global south. Mm-hmm. To be fair, it's a not pleasant thing to look at. But that's about the nicest thing I can say about people looking away. But that's capitalism. It's ugly. It's not nice to look at. Well, it's never going to be... Yeah, once you start... The reason why I think all of us are here is because we actually started looking at capitalism and realizing it sucks. A little bit too close to, yeah. 
Wait, uh, he kind of uh, going on from that, and he talks about a little bit of uh, this is kind of a short chapter, um, and he kind of ends it off by saying uh, he goes into a society that will fulfill the needs of all and which will know how to organize production will also have to make a clean sweep of several prejudices concerning industry and first of all the theory often preached by economics the division of labor theory which we are going to discuss in the next chapter so he's basically well, saying before, until before next we time well yeah but even before we move on he actually explicitly is because it, it, it this is going to be important in the later chapters he explicitly points out and says you know, yeah, we're producing more than we need to consume, yet, we're, and we're also not able to pr- to buy the very things that we are producing. But on top of that, not only is the capitalist pulling our way, pull, pulling profit from what we're producing, but we rather they sh- should they say that the state, having always taken from him a large share of his produce for taxes, the priest for tithe, and the landlord for rent, a whole class of men has created who formerly consumed what they produced, save what was set aside for un- unforeseen accidents or expenses including in afforestation roads, etc., but who today are compelled to live very poorly, from hand to mouth, the remainder of having been taken from them by the state, the landlord, the priest, and the usurer. And he's calling yeah. out everybody who's complicit in the system not just the capitalist not just the statist he's even calling he's even calling out the banker and the priest saying mm-hmm. none of you are needed go away and that's kind of sort of the thing he talks about um i think chapter uh i think that's a good place to end it on chapter 14 there's not a whole lot here uh, like again, I think I think uh, the conquest of Red kind of starts to uh, towards the end of the book. He gets a bit repetitive with a lot well, of this stuff. It's because he's kind of he sat down. He's laid out his theory. He's laid out his his axioms, and is basically just pointing out that and wrapping up and saying, "Yeah, this is what this means." Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's more of the application, and he kind of mm-hmm. goes much more into that in chapter fifteen, which I don't. Chapter fifteen is interesting. So he talks about. Kropotkin is against division of labor. Um, no, not so. That that's he's he's against the specialization of labor. He's against. That's what, what I, I meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's against what I would call the the Fordist the Fordist application of labor. The the Fordist um, where where you have laborers doing such menial tasks like turning a single nut on a on a car and moving it on. He's against that mm-hmm. kind of division of labor. He understands that there is some level of, hey, you know, we need to kind of make sure that people are able to do what they like to do. But at the same time, we also don't want to specialize so much that we only have one person growing all of our food, one person performing all of our uh, first aids, one person teaching all of our students. It's kind of we have to act as as a one organism and do everything that is necessary. Well, he's also talking about, like, the the idea of... Uh, just monotony as well where he's like he's against that he's like it's not natural for human beings to just do the same thing over and over and over again sometimes we need to change it up a little bit or we will go insane and as we've seen in the you know in the current world people just go insane (laughs) because you know you're sitting at your dead-end job you have nothing you you just keep doing the same thing over and over again nothing changes and it just sucks it's like we're at the end of history so He's sitting down, he's calling out Adam Smith, he's calling out, say, two of the biggest economists at the time, and basically saying, you know, 
what what they were doing were saying that you know humanity was to be divided in national workshops, each having its own especially. Russia, we were taught, was destined by nature to grow corn, England to spin cotton, Belgium to weave cloth, and so on and so forth. But it, it's not it's not true that you were born to sharpen pins while Pasteur was born to invent the inoculation against anthrax. It's a horrible mm. principle, so noxious to society, so brutalizing to the individual. That we, we can't just say that any one person is only perfectly capable of doing these very specialized things when almost anybody is capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. I want to point out one more thing, which is there's uh, both a, like a personal division of labor thing that he's talking about, or specialization, but there's also a national scale version that he's talking about, which you touched on briefly, like Russia is supposed to make corn, and that's what they specialize in. And you don't hear the idea of specialization or division of labor used in that way anymore. I've mm. never heard that, like, I, I've talked to economists, I've learned a little bit about economy, but I've never heard specialization of labor talked about in that particular sense. So I think it's just the conversation has moved so far away from it because he was completely right about that. It's just they've just backed away from that position entirely. Mm-hmm. Not well, totally but surprising. It, it's also kind of one of those things that it's like you can't like if you had if you had entire if you had entire national economies like it, it, let's let's assume for the sake of this of this discussion that borders are actually real that you know you can't just say only specific patches of land are capable of only producing certain things which mind you there are certain there are certain resource necessities for doing certain things, but at the same time, it's not a nationality thing. That's like, just a biological just, thing. Yeah, you, you can't just sit down and say that, oh, because you live in this country, you can only produce X. Like, you have to be self-sufficient. And that's, that's kind of like what brings the anarchist tradition into it. It's like, most anarchists will always argue for self-sufficiency. Like yeah, I'm I'm specialized, or I know how to specialize in this specific general task. But at the same time, I'm able to provide for myself on an individual in a societal level. Don't undergeneralize. Well, well, I think even also he kind of goes against like the idea of like you know, just the whole current education system where it's very much pick one thing and then you have to do that for the rest of your life, and it fucking terrifies people. I know it terrified me because it was always talking about, hey man, you have to do this thing for the rest of your life, and if you don't like it, well then that sucks, you can't go back. And like, you know, one of the biggest things right now that we could do is re-educate people and like try to like, you know, get better like programs that meet, like have things and have education be much more broad where you can do a multitude of things at different times and do whatever you need to survive and benefit the society. Um, and you're not just atomized into one place where it's like, oh yeah, everyone wants to be a computer programmer now, and then all of a sudden uh, there's a breakthrough in technology in 30 years and uh, they're all out of work. That's what happens with manufacturing jobs. You know, people so specialize probably the in the Epstein thing. drive. What? It'll probably be the Epstein drive that does it. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> just watch. We're just kept on there. Oh God. Watch this. This is gonna expense. be a long. This is gonna be a long episode. <laughs> well, it's gonna Fuck. have to be. We got. We still got a couple more chapters. But cut, jumping off of that, like, 
because because he's against this hyper specialization of regions and of individuals he's actually arguing for what he calls the next chapter the decentralization of in industry mm -hmm. he's he's not basically he's basically arguing that yeah you know it's okay for certain regions to be like yeah we're gonna produce special things but on the whole each region and each individual should be able to produce for themselves and even like heavy industry can be like this i think people don't realize like uh people have done decentralized heavy industry before uh actually you know people who, do, who did it the most and the reason why they did it uh the nazis did a lot did this a lot later in the war be, well, well i mean it, it's true they did it in the later in the war because they needed to they were and it was successful for them but also the British did it during World War II where they had sort of like cottage industries. Like this is the idea of like having a cottage industry and having, um, you know, you, you're all producing little little things and it kind of brings into a greater whole. Japan did the same thing. And the reason is because when you're under attack, having no big center of industry that you can attack makes you much less vulnerable to having Siege. entire cities firebombed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a resilience thing. You are more socially resilient if you have more widely distributed cottage industry than if you have one central factory. True exactly. Enough. Yeah, he, he argues that the only reason that... There, there is no reason that any one, any one region shouldn't be able to produce anything. He, he says, what should be the hindrance? Capital? But capital goes wherever there are men, poor enough to be exploited. Knowledge? But knowledge recognizes no national barriers. Technical skilled worker? No. Are then workmen inferior to the hundreds of thousands of boys and girls not 18 years old at present work working in the other factories? It's like, why should we, why should France, why, why should Mexico be the only one who's growing cotton just to send it to England for them to create uh, yarn just to send to France so that they could create, could create clothes? Why not just have everybody produce what they need for the area? all the way up through the the entire system colonialism you know what's yeah yeah i mean that's colonialism and again it all goes up to the top where the people at the top just don't do anything and just get returns but uh it reminds me you know what's a what's actually a really good example of this um and rick and morty with the butter robot where the butter robot asks what do i do and it's like you you lift butter and it's like oh oh my it's god <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like that sort of thing where it's like Kropotkin is calling us to be the butter robot and wake up to the fact that we're all just like doing the same monotonous shit and yeah, that not it doesn't have so to well be this for the way butter robot, so true just got really depressed well but he's he's actually saying that the butter robot robot doesn't actually exist right we the mm -hmm. ca capitalism in the cat and capital tells us that we're butter robots that we're only destined yeah that's what that's what i meant that's what i meant yeah but but yeah. in reality we're destined to do anything that we fucking want well that's why i'm doing this podcast i i've, I've edited stuff for a while on this podcast but i have no formal training in that i just learned all of it doing it on the job and like i also do other things other than this podcast so you have a you have a multifaceted sort of work said and everyone does it just there i think kropotkin is almost saying like there is no such thing as um 
someone who's like a, a prodigy or just you're really good at this one thing it's like no the only thing that makes you good is time and practice and you know putting effort into it well yeah because you you can one of the biggest things is especially when it comes to um education like you can learn the theory as much as you want but it's not until you put it into practice and you actually start recognizing it for what it is as a basis for the real world as the map not the territory that you actually can fully transcend the need for it, the the education that you received in the first place because mm-hmm. he, he even says you know every nation finds it advantageous to combine agriculture with the greatest possible variety of factories the specialization the specialization which economists spoke so highly certainly has reached a number of capitalists but is now no longer any use the diversity this diversity is the surest pledge of the comp of the complete development of production by mutual cooperation and the moving cause of progress while specialization is now a hindrance to progress and i think with that he even just kind of go off the rails for a little bit i think he he's even arguing against the entire idea that well yeah specialization specialization is necessary for budding for budding civilizations where you actually need farmers and you and you need railway workers, and you need road builders. But now that we've reached a point where all of that stuff is more or less done, or can or can be automated to a point where you only mm. need a couple hours of day actually devoted to it, why do we need specialization anymore? Why can't everybody do anything? Yeah, you're right. I think also... Well, there's uh, too many things to know. We can't really have another Renaissance man anymore, you know... There's basically too many things to know for everyone to know everything. And kind of going, jumping off of that, um, chapter 16, he talks about, chapter 15 is like very short. It's like a page long. Like the last of these chapters are very, very short. That's why we kind of grouped them all in here at the the end. But um, chapter 16, yeah, he's saying decentralization of industry. And immediately he talks about uh, what... um, Gecko was saying, where he's just like, yeah, the Napoleonic Wars, Britain learned to be self-sufficient because they had to, because in times of crisis, it's the best thing. And I think I also want to point something out that he doesn't say. Self-sufficiency is also actually economic, or environmentally more friendly because you're going to be able to take care of, um, and like, you know, understand the processes that directly um affect your community easier if you you know if you're doing it yourself if you have you know if you get your food from like china and like all the all the environmental damage is fetishized you're not going to see you're you're not really going to care about environmentalism so much as it uh, it uh, immediately affects you if you like dump waste like nuclear waste into a river yeah because he's arguing that the revolution is permaculture yeah hey for those who don't understand what permaculture is it's basically the idea that when you're growing when you're growing you're growing farmland and you're creating goods you're making it sustainable and i mean 100 percent sustainable to the point where thousands of years from now you can continue doing the exact same thing Mm mm-hmm he he explicitly says uh, a revolution is mere, more than just the mere change of the prevailing political system. It, invol- it implies the awakening of human intelligence, the increasing of the effective spirit tenfold, a hundredfold, is the dawn of a new science. 
is a revolution of mind, in the minds of men as deep as and deeper still than in their institutions. So he's more or less almost um, taking more what Marx was saying, where he's like like kind of inventing political economy as a new science and kind of rolling with it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so moving moving off from from jumping so jumping off from permaculture, his last chapter is actually agriculture. Yeah, and he really really his last chapter. Yeah, specifically, this is why it's called the conquest of bread because he really kind of nails the landing here. I think um, he kind of summarizes his entire arguments in agriculture um, because again, chapter uh, fifteen and sixteen are like both one page. It's kind of interesting. Um, it is kind of weird like that. They could have been one chapter. They would yeah, they, they were just one. I, I but think that's my opinion. I actually think, yeah. I, I just come from a literary perspective, I actually do like the separation of the two chapters because it allows you to kind of, it, it allows you to kind of digest both ideas a little more better before he actually introduces the, the final landing. It, it's mm. like, it's like in a gymnast, like you, if you combine both the, the backflip and the, the somersault, you end up with a, with a shitty mess. But if you do a backflip, then a somersault, like you get 10 out of 10. Well, I just find it interesting because it just feels like some of the chapters in this book feel a little bit superfluous where it's basically like he makes his argument in one chapter and then the next chapter is just um, see previous argument and that's it. You see previous argument except replace this one thing with another. That's it. And I think that it's like, well, just include that in the other chapter. It just feels a little bit like you're just wasting, you're like padding out space. Well, but that's what philosophers do, not necessarily pad up space, but they they are basically pre- presenting a, a simulacra to look at and saying, hey, look at this, this makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, by the way, we're actually talking about this other thing. So substitute everything I just said for this thing I'm actually talking about. Fair enough, fair enough. Because kind of, kind of moving forward, in agriculture, he's basically saying, you know, all of these things, like... If we're talking about agriculture, we're not talking about what is it traditionally thought about. You know, the the the, the farmer to- endlessly toiling day in day out for season upon season just to make enough to feed ten thousand people. But mm-hmm. in in reality, if we actually get rid of all of these things that I'm against, you know, the idea of rent, the idea of taxes, so on and so forth, and you're actually just focusing solely on production. Focusing solely on satisfying the needs of what is necessary for humanity to continue, we're we're just going to be able to sit down and actually develop enough technology so that what would be 10, 15 hours of labor is now condensed in one and a half to three. Mm-hmm. He also spends a lot of time talking about uh, extensive versus intensive agriculture, by which he means extensive is like giant, enormous fields like you'd see in Iowa of just corn. Um, mm-hmm. And not so much that the monoculture Isn't aspect of it, but the fact that there's just... What? Isn't the corn the population of Iowa? Mostly. There's a lot more corn than there are people in Iowa. Well, and that's why Buttigieg won. 
It, it makes sense, you know, yeah. rats like corn. But anyway, uh, the point is, uh, the point he's making is that you can have a bunch of people or one person just work an enormous field for the entire year and produce a bunch of food. Or you can mobilize everybody in Paris to keep, like, gardens that they meticulously take care of, and they can grow an enormous amount of food in a very small amount of space. And mm-hmm. he goes into some of the achievements people have made around Paris uh, just in that sort of vein, and Urban they are pretty impressive. And, and that was 100 years ago. 130 well, f- years ago now, and it's it's impressive today. It's we can do better well, I, now. I oh yeah, definitely. But I think one of the things that I find interesting about this is that we already know there's a need for things like this. Like people want to be self sufficient. You know that there's a need for it because there's already been scammed like venture capital companies that have been tried to capitalize on it. Like there is a company that was like, all right, so basically you have a glass box and you like grow a vegetable in it, and like somehow I was listening to this on Trash Future, but um, somehow it's connected to the internet and it like gets all that data and like uh, finds the has an algorithm that finds the perfect temperature for that t- potato, and then you could like share that with other people and like show people your recipes or whatnot. Dude, and, that'd be like, something for Mark Watney, maybe. I mean, it'd be that idea in and of itself is not bad. It's just a scam, and like the whole point is that capitalism's taking like uh, all ideas that are interesting and good and making them shitty because of money. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a two hundred dollar appliance. It does what you could do with an Arduino and a water pump on like a hundred times larger scale for twenty dollars. And mm-hmm. I've I've seen some people do that and. Uh, they're basically fully automating a hydroponic system. It's pretty impressive. I see them do the same with aquaponics. And uh, yeah, hydroponics and aquaponics are really, really cool. Yeah, it's and, weird and they're very sustainable, too. That's it, exactly what we've been talking about. For something that is decentralized, small, easy, easy for people to do on their own, it doesn't take a whole lot of skill, very productive. It's like and all these things also, put together. That's also the, kind of the entire base of the modern solar punk movement and the modern permaculture movement. It's like all of the space that we're wasting on just random shit, like all of these roofs that are just sitting there, not being used, we can use for solar energy and to grow gardens. All of the balconies in these high rises can be used to grow enough well, the food interior to feed spaces the entire too. family. You can totally like all the golf courses right now. With garden space. And it would be when, fantastic. When the revolution comes, the first we shall go for are the golf courses. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's just Plow like the golf courses. I let's cultivate Hello. golf courses. Because <laughs> it's it's what like Cardinal. So I got that dirty joke. It's I what like thousands what of acres about. across the U.S. that just wasted on grass and tiny balls and holes. <clears throat> well, this almost gets to the the homelessness problem as well because all this fucking. These fucking people who have own all this stuff, they don't want to rent to people because, like, they want to have super high rents and then sit on these property prices. Literally, we have so much unused... People talk about overpopulation. We wouldn't have overpopulation without capitalism. Like, if we if we had, like, a fully automated gay space, luxury space communism, overpopulation wouldn't be a thing because you the whole point is that you're be a- better able to live with your environment. And capitalism is just, uh, um, we're just going to take anything about the environment and uh, oh, however I can make money off of it, lot. I can use it. 
Yeah. Well, and furthermore, to kind of to kind of go bit, jump off what we've talked about before with bullshit jobs, all of this office space that is utilized on bureaucracy and just useless work can be repurposed either to factory work or to grow fucking plants and to house people. Like one of the biggest thing, one of the biggest. Uh, we, we I think we've made comments before about biggest PR uh, biggest PR that has been able to subvert the idea is with malls. The original inventor of a mall was for it to be a community space where people lived, grew their own food, and hung out. But now it's subverted into this supernatural uh, entity where people just go and purchase things that you can't even necessarily like just exist in a mall without feeling the pressure to buy something that was the original idea of uh, epcot also at disney is yeah that it would be a community and it was supposed to be this great well-designed community and to show off the potential of what a well-designed community could be like and it's it's a theme park well it's got ruined because of capitalism like what walt disney one of the biggest things is like again the rich want to live in th- this sort of utopia, and they basically do already because they don't have to worry about any of this. If you just don't give a shit about other people and like only look after yourself, you can live in the best utopia. But the problem is, yep. Well, all and if you get lucky, but the problem is, no one wants like it's it's achievable i think that's one of the things that kropotkin's arguing against he's like yeah it's utopian but why don't you want to be in a utopia than like a dystopia why would you want to be like have shitty means tested stuff when you can strive for the best and even if you don't get there well at least you tried well to to modernize his argument he's basically saying that you know with, when it comes to billionaires and multimillionaires, they already have socialism they already have what would yeah. functionally it's, it exist so as weird a socialist that way. society, but they refuse to. Where they to work five hours a week, you know, yeah. and, and that they, sort of thing, and they can and, do whatever they want. Exactly. Oh, but the social order is so hard. <laughs> uh, one of the things also I wanted to uh, note about, um, you know, CEOs, quote unquote, working uh, the. 100 hour weeks and stuff they include things like working out and like going to lunch in their hours like I, if i fucking did that at my job i'd get fired well because you, you also have, you also have to realize that when it comes to taxes and things that can be deducted as taxable items if you go to a lunch and you literally talk for five minutes during an hour lunch about business stuff that entire lunch is now counted as a business meeting well that's yeah, the thing. It, it's, it's, the, it's an expense that is now tax deductible Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, interesting. So, are you, so you could pretty much just fly around the world, hanging out with your friends and talking about stocks, and all of a sudden, boom, tax deductible, tax deductible meetings. I'm just gonna go around the world with all my friends and like. Once, once the furries get bread pilled, podcast becomes a, a business and a giant uh, corporate conglomerate. I'm is just going to fly how... around the world and just say a woo to people, and that's technically business discussion. All right, hmm. so this is how we're going to sell out people. Yeah. What well, do you think no, all the, all the but... Patreon bucks are going towards? We, we yeah, they're going we're to... not sure. We have, to, we have to stay on brand, remember? you got to say a woo and then hand them a slice of bread. Yeah, there we go. That'll be so weird. Is that going to be our card? Do we, do we toast a pattern on? We should totally <laughs> do it. Oh, my God. That'd be good. That sounds really good. 
Just go around with a whole bunch of stickers that have uh, <laughs> QR codes that are links to the Conquest of Dread. Mm. Yeah, Just but this is... Everywhere. I mean, I mean, we're getting to the end, and this is the end of the book. You know, we got we got a long way, and I think uh, getting from out of here. He kind of he summarizes it all. He he gives us a really good ending, and I think that you know, really, if you want to summarize uh, the conquest of red in like a sentence, I think how you do it is all for all. Just plain and simple. It's. Easy to digest and easy to understand. And Kropotkin really does a good job of explaining it in a way that is simple but not uh, condescending. I think I think one of the way the, he puts it best near the end here that you know if only humanity had the consciousness of what it can, and if that consciousness only gave it the power to will, if only it knew the cow- that cowardice of the spirit is the rock on which all revolutions have stranded until now. We can easily perceive the new horizons open before the social revolution. Each time we speak of revolution, the face of the worker who has seen children wanting food darkens, and he asks, what of bread? Will there be sufficient if everyone eats according to his appetite? What, of the, what if the peasants, ignorant tools of reaction, starve our towns as the black bands did to France in 1793? What shall we do? Let them do their say. worst. The large cities will have to do without. And at what, then, should the hundreds of thousands of workers who are asphyxiated today in small workshops and factories be employed on the day they regain their liberty? Will they continue to make luxurious toys for export when they see their stock of corn getting exhausted? Evidently not. They will leave the town and go into the fields. Mm. I do love I think that the- if only humanity had the consciousness of what it can... And if that consciousness only gave it the power to us, like some of the most awesome transhumanist shit ever. It is. It's all I have so to say is like cyberpunk. All I have to say is Kropotkin is uh kind of like the orcs from 40k, where it's like if you believe that society can be red and it will go faster, then society will go faster if you paint it red. Well, I mean, we should just start painting shit red, see what happens. It's it's about, I mean, this is the whole thing. Like, Kropotkin's not, like, at the end of the day, this is, this is like, again, the argument against capitalist realism. The only reason why we don't have a lot of this stuff is not because it's impossible. It's because we believe it to be impossible, because we were fed a lie and told that it was impossible. You must learn what you have learned. I know, it's terrible. Wow, way to use a capitalist uh, property to make socialist points. The fuck is wrong with you, Garden? Praxis. Hmm. That that's what's wrong with me. I mean, also I smoked like a lot of marijuana, so I could like be on this podcast tonight. So, <laughs> as usual, always. Oh, well, different. Oh. All right, I think with that, it's a pretty good summary. We might, um, we might do an over, just another pod that's just an overview of the entire entire book, just like closing thoughts and stuff. But um, that depends on. I'm trying to get a, see if I can get a get a good guest for that. Um, I'll, yeah, but that's about it. I mean, worst case scenario, we'll just do like a quick, quick ending thoughts for like a good hour or so. But yeah, yeah. Before before we close out, I would like to thank our our one patron, which I think is still just one. I'm double I'm checking yeah. right now, just to see if we still only have one patron, so I don't forget anybody who has recently 
We had another patron for a while. Getting one second. I'll log in and this all will be deleted in post because we're not going to let people listen to me ramble on and on while I log into things that should have already been logged into. And we have one patron. And that patron's name is... The password is star, 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 star. Star. Oh, star, star. Right. God damn it! What the fuck is our patron saying? Con, you did this last episode. It's my turn to do this. It's what is so. Our... It's so. It's. it's not we don't have to dox our patrons. That, that that's fine. <laughs> well, well I, I would like to at least give give them a sing a shout out and be like, thank you for giving us the five dollars that makes us exist. We really, really appreciate you. I can't find, find it. out who it is. Uh, how do you how do you not how are you not able to log into it? I, I am logged into it. I'm just. I'm how are you not able to find, to find the patron? I'm just trying to find the name of the patron because it was posted at some point and. Just look at it. It's literally if you're logged in, it's under patrons benefits benefit manager right here. But that's not the name of the patron. That's that's their. Well, she'll if you click on her name, we had a conversation with her, so it should be right there. Like message or hold on message. Nope. Asipus. Asipus. Yes, thank you so much, Asipus. We really appreciate and we hope oh, that, that all the last five minutes, except for thank you to Asipus for patronizing our wonderful uh, burnt toast that is fairies get bread pilled. Yes, and. Uh... For anyone else wanting to join the Patreon, we will be having a uh, union episode here pretty soon with uh, another guest. We actually do have a lot of lot planned for future pa- patron Patreon episodes, and in fact, uh, I'm going to tentatively announce that we are going to start releasing on a weekly basis, uh, alternating between free and patron count uh, pr- content. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is and then the goal. Yes. And I think also, uh, one more thing, people are going to be wondering what our next book is. We will probably be doing, um, for the free one, uh, Thomas Sankara Speaks, because we wanted to do something a little bit different that, uh, it's not anarchist, it's going to be ML, so it's going to be interesting where we can have some fun, uh, talking about objections to it. Oh, that should be fun. Well, yeah. we also, we also want to kind of point out that, you know, a lot for a lot of modern anarchist theory theorizers we kind of it's kind of whitewashed a lot of white people in socialist theory and we want kind of want to point out that it's not just white people that have good theory and also good practice praxis practice what the hell yeah yeah i, I mean we did that with oshalon we did that with oshalon uh we did that i thought it was ocalan you know it's oshalon like ocean Oshalon. Wait, no, I did that one already. Yep. Well, thank you to everyone. Uh, we'll be right back. See you. Oh, no. What? We gotta sign off. What? Oh. What's going on? Signing off. Are we gonna actually be right back? No. But right. we're signing off. Jesus. For everybody okay. else, it's probably gonna be like a week. For us, we don't. This is. Don't. Yeah. It, 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 I'm. I'm Confight. I'm the Gecko. I'm Carden. And I'm Zillacath.
Thank you for listening. Take your bread pills.